Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2021, on the basis of Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Grace and mercy and peace are yours from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe you've never considered this before. Maybe you have. But the concept of hope essentially has two parts. Here's the first part. Hope has to be based or rooted in some sort of fact or certainty. If it's not, then it's just kind of a a naive wish. Let me give you an example. We may hope with all of our hearts that the SDSU Jackrabbits basketball team wins the national championship next year. But if that is not rooted in some discernible facts or some some certainty, then it's a nice thought. We'd like to think of that, right? But it's just kind of a, a, a hopeful wish, a naive wish. There's nothing really to to back it up. And when that's the case, our hope doesn't really match our reality. Hope has to be rooted in some sort of fact or certainty. That's part one. Part two to hope is we have to hope for something better. We have to hope for a brighter future. Nobody hopes for something that's going to make their life worse. We don't hope to get COVID. We don't hope to be evicted. We don't hope for a, a bleaker life. We hope for something That is better. These are the the two parts of of hope. And as we celebrate Easter, as we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, we will see that his resurrection fulfills both of those parts to hope. The hope that Jesus gives is rooted in fact and certainty. The hope that Jesus gives promises the brightest future. Because Jesus lives, hope lives. So the the resurrection of Jesus is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But today we're going to look just at at Mark's Gospel. And so we read it before. I'm not going to read it again for you here, but I'll refer to it several times throughout the sermon. So if you want to have that open in your service folder, you can do that. Mark starts off by telling us about these women. These women who are are going to the tomb of of Jesus very early in the morning on, on Sunday morning. Included with them are Mary Magdalene, Mary, who is James's mother, and Salome. Now these women are carrying with them oils to anoint Jesus' body. Because the events of the last few days had gone kind of fast, including Jesus' burial. And so these women wanted to make sure that Jesus' body was treated with the proper respect and and dignity, dignity that it deserved. But as they're going we get a little glimpse into perhaps their headspace at this time, what's going through their head. Because they're halfway to the tomb and they realize they kind of forgot a pretty important detail. Who's going to move that stone away that's sitting in front of the tomb? There is this large stone rolled in front of the tomb, blocking the the entrance for anybody there. And previously there had been two guards standing out, out front of the tomb 
too. And so they get halfway to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, but really don't have any way to get in there. This isn't really a knock against the women, but they might have been in a fog at this point. Like we said, a lot has happened the last few days, and they have been witnesses to all of it. They were there when Jesus died. In fact, much to their credit, and unlike the cowardly disciples, they stayed with Jesus when he was dying on the cross, and they witnessed that gruesome scene. But you can imagine how that might have affected them and the toll that might have taken on them. They get to the tomb, and much to their surprise, the stone is, is rolled away. Now, now, this wasn't what they were expecting to see. They realized that they, they probably hadn't planned this out as well as they thought. And when they got there, the stones rolled away, and, and maybe part of them was, was happy that that was the case, because we don't have to worry about finding someone to roll the stone away for us anymore. But they realized that, that this scene is not what they expected to see, and that something is up here. And so Mary Magdalene recognizes it first. And we're not told this in Mark's gospel, but we're told it in a different gospel, that as soon as she recognized that the stone was rolled away, she wasted no time. She turned and she ran back to tell Peter and John what was happening. But, but in the meantime, Mary, who, who is James's mother, and Salome, they, they walk into this tomb. Now, now, they're already kind of on edge, right? From all the stuff we talked about before, and now you add into that that they, they have this scene that they weren't planning to see, that a, a, a big stone rolled away. They don't know who did it. And they walk into the, the tomb and they're filled with fear and dread and they're deeply alarmed for, for a couple reasons. Uh, first, there's someone in there. Uh, it's this, this young man dressed in, in white robes. It's an angel. And we're told in Scripture that when a human comes in contact with an angel... You know the first thing that the angels always say to them? Do not fear. <laughs> because people are filled with fear when they're in the presence of an angel. And so they're afraid because of that, but they're also afraid because they have no idea what is going on. They went into this tomb and expected to see somebody dead in there. Instead, they see that this angel who is very much alive. They have a million different questions that they really can't seem to put words to. And then the angel says, this to them. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See where they laid him. So let's break this down a little bit. First of all, we can say most assuredly that this is an angel because he's telling the women what they're thinking. That They didn't say anything to this angel when they walked in the tomb. And he says, you're here to see Jesus, aren't you? <laughs> Then he adds a little detail that, that maybe seems kind of small to us, but, but perhaps it was a big deal for the women there. He says, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. Yeah, you, you might be in a whirlwind right now mentally. You might be in a fog mentally, but that actually did happen. Jesus actually did die on the cross. In fact, see the place where he was, was laid. You didn't get the wrong tomb number. <laughs> You didn't get the wrong place. Jesus was actually laid here. See the place where he lay. But he is here no longer. And then the angel says, he is risen. Wait. What? Risen? Now, now I don't know how, how quickly you feel like you process information. If somebody drops some big news on you, do you feel like you kind of get it right away? Or, 
Or are you like me and it maybe takes a couple days and it's a week later and you finally have started to process this big information? Well, regardless, you might be the best information processor of all time, but this is a lot to take in. The women are still trying to come to grips with the fact that Jesus died in the first place, and now they hear from this angel that he's risen from the dead. What does that mean? The women need to take a pause here, right? They need to take a pause and examine the claim of Jesus rising from the dead, the claim of the resurrection. Because if it's true, this is kind of a big deal. And perhaps we can do the same thing. When you hear that Jesus has risen from the dead, maybe you have a lot of the same thoughts that the women have. Confusion. Maybe it's time to, to examine this, this resurrection, to take a moment and do that. Because if it's true, it's a big deal. If it's true, it means Christianity is the truth. If it's true, it means we should listen to everything that God says in the Bible. If it's true, you're going to want to know your God better. So let's examine it, and let's start with the, the manuscript evidence. We said at the beginning that, that this resurrection is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all uh, testify to the historical accuracy of the resurrection. These are four eyewitness biographers that said that this really happened. This is the truth. One of those Gospels was written less than 25 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And in that very gospel, it says that there are 500 people still living that had witnessed Jesus after he had risen from the dead. So what, what the gospel writer is inviting those first readers to do is after they read this, go ask one of those 500 people that are still alive and ask them if they, they saw Christ and what they, they saw. And, and they will confirm that he is indeed risen. Historians that have talked about the resurrection says that say that this is one of the most well-documented events in the history of the world. And then we could talk about uh, how Christianity grew. And it grew rapidly, so much so that we're sitting here today, right? And we know for a fact that the Jewish leaders and the Roman officials, they didn't want Christianity to grow. They didn't want the news of Jesus rising from the dead to, to get out. But it would have been pretty easy to stamp out. If you think about it, it would have been pretty easy to stamp out. All they would have had to do is produce the body, right? All they would have had to do is show that, that this is Jesus' lifeless corpse, and that would prove that, that he hasn't risen from the dead. That means he, he wasn't God, and everything he said was a lie. All they would have had to do is do that, but they didn't. Instead, they, they said that the disciples stole the body. Now, we don't have any evidence that, that there was even an inquiry into this. The disciples weren't brought in for questioning. Where did you hide the body? They, they didn't put on a big investigation to find where, where Jesus' body was hid. And on top of this, if you know a little bit about the disciples, you know kind of how ridiculous this claim would, would, would have been. These were the same disciples who in cowardly fashion, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did they do? They ran away. <laughs> That they went and hid because they were, they were scared. These are the same disciples who, when Jesus predicted his death three times, had no idea what he was talking about. It went right over their head. They had no idea. Let alone when Jesus said that he would rise again. 
They didn't know what that meant. They didn't know the importance of what the resurrection would have been. And so in order for them to, to want to steal the body, they would have had to know that that was an important thing, that Jesus would rise. These are the same disciples who on Easter day, we find them locked in a room. Again, cowering in fear because they were afraid the Jewish leaders were coming to kill them next. In order for, for the disciples to pull off that that stealing of Jesus' body, they would have had to, one, understand that it was important for Jesus to rise in the first place, and they would, two, have to plan a high-stakes grave robbery, robbery, get by the two guards that were in the front, move that heavy stone away, steal Jesus' body, hide it so no one could ever find it again, and then convince over 500 people to say that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. <laughs> That's the best that the Jewish leaders and the Roman officials could come up with. And I could go on. I could go on and we could talk about how how unlikely it is that the entire Jewish religion at that time had now shifted into Christianity. I could talk about how unlikely it would be that the disciples would be willing to die for, for something they knew to be false. I could go on. But but here's the thing. Jesus' resurrection is true. It happened. Jesus' resurrection is a fact, but it's not an empirically verifiable fact. I can lay out all the evidence I want in front of you today, and I might still not convince you that Jesus rose. This is a fact. This happened, but it is only a fact that can be grasped by faith. So you you might be a, a skeptic. You might be a doubter. You might have a lot of questions about Jesus' resurrection. Maybe you've even been a lifelong Christian that's never really taken the time to consider the resurrection and and what it means and really look into it. But I hope I have at least demonstrated to you this morning that that this is something worth looking into. This is something worth considering and spending time thinking about. So look into it. Read the Gospels. Read read the four Gospels accounts of the resurrection. Read what, what Jesus teaches Join one of our Faith Builders classes where we take a look at the claims of the resurrection. We look at the claims of Jesus. We discuss it. We answer all the questions that you have about Jesus, about the Bible, about Christianity, about anything. Look into this because if you do look into this, I guarantee that you'll find what you're looking for and you'll find that the resurrection was a reality and is a reality for us. But it is more than just a reality for us. There's a lot of facts out there that don't really mean much for us, but the, rea- the reality of the resurrection means something for us. It's not a, a worthless fact like knowing that the DNA is two nanometers in width, or knowing that the Spanish defeated the Philippines in the second battle of Playa Honda in 1617, or, or knowing that, that the cheer of the Vanderbilt Commodores is anchored down. These are just facts. They mean nothing. I don't think you've ever woken up in the morning and said, man, I've had a rough week, but I know that I'm going to get through it because DNA is two nanometers in width. (laughs) It's silly to think that, right? Jesus' resurrection is more than just a worthless fact. It's more than just trivia. The reality of Jesus' resurrection changes everything for you. It changes your reality. 
Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then there is nothing that he can't do. If Jesus rose from the dead, then nothing is impossible for him. If he rose from the dead, then he truly is your exalted king and he has power in your life and in this world. So what is it in your life that you need resurrected? What is it that you had hoped would happen, but the, the realities, the cruel realities of this world have put those hopes to death? What, what could Jesus resurrect for you? Have you ever wanted to live a life uh, guilt-free, escape that, that guilt that, that seems to dog you? Because it kind of seems like the world says the way, the way the world works is we have to carry this guilt. If you made a mistake in the past, you just got to live with the consequences. It's going to, to be that way for the rest of your life. Just deal with it. You're going to have to carry that for a while. Well, well Jesus' resurrection changes that reality for you. Yeah, you might still have to deal with, with some of the earthly consequences for, for the decisions you make here in this world. But Jesus has already taken that guilt, that shame, that sin, and he nailed it to the cross. We put those nails in the cross on Friday and they were red. But now you see that they're white. Because the sins, the guilt, the shame that Jesus took the, to the cross, he nailed them there and he buried them in the tomb. And, and here's your phrase for this morning. See the place where Jesus lay? That's where your guilt, sin, and shame are going to stay. I'm a poet. <laughs> Have you ever wished that Jesus would resurrect some of your relationships? Well, let's look back at what the angel said to Jesus. He said, go tell his disciples, and who? And Peter. Why single Peter out there? Peter could have been lumped in with the disciples. He was a disciple of Jesus. But the angel says Peter's name specifically. Well, you might remember, Peter denied Jesus three times he denied him. And then after realizing what he had done, he went outside the city gates and he wept bitterly because he knew that he had let Jesus down. He knew that he had broken the relationship that he had with God. So the angel tells the women, go tell Peter that Jesus has risen from the dead. Do you think this changed things for Peter? The Savior that he denied is not dead. He gets to see him again. He's been raised to life, and Peter may not have known it at the time, but Jesus' resurrection means that he is forgiven. The relationship has been restored, repaired, resurrected. If he did that for, for Peter, he can certainly do that for you. In your relationship with God, and your relationship with one another. Forgiveness has a way of working its way into your life and touching every aspect of your life. It, it transforms those relationships. That's a reality that, that we want, right? Jesus brings that reality with his resurrection. We said at the beginning that, that hope has to be connected to a brighter future. The resurrection certainly fulfills that one, right? The resurrection tells us that because Jesus rose, one day too, you and I, we will rise. Jesus is proof of that. That that physical death is not going to be the end, of a, end for us. We sang it in the song that physical death is now just a shell. It's empty. It holds no, no terror for the Christian because heaven is ours. That's not the end. And that transforms the way that you, you look at your, your entire life. 
You make decisions differently. You think about life differently. You attend funerals in a little different fashion. You don't weep as one that has no hope. But you, you mourn the loss of that person knowing that you're going to see them again in heaven. See your loved ones again and see Jesus in heaven. It's kind of a puzzling way that the gospel leaves this, though. The women went away from the tomb, but they were perplexed. They were confused. They were, they were scared. They told no one. Maybe when you hear about the, the resurrection, it might be a similar thing. You might be confused. You might be perplexed. You might even be terrified because you're, the entire way that you looked at the world has been turned upside down. Or maybe you'll, you'll be overjoyed and maybe you'll want to go tell everybody that, that you know about what you have heard about, about Jesus. But don't walk up to the empty tomb and leave unmoved. Don't walk up to the empty tomb and think that that's just a, a worthless fact, that that's just some trivia. Because the empty tomb has great meaning for your life. It has changed your reality because Jesus lives, hope lives. Amen.